0: All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Season 3, Episode 5 of the Legal Ease Podcast. I'm your host, Willie Walsh. And I'm the
1: other host, Joe Cooper.
0: Yes. Uh, so, uh, just a quick public service announcement. Um, Birdies and Barristers, uh, the golf tournament at the Paul and Bear Law Center is coming up on Friday, April 6th. So, listeners, if you want to play, it's open to anybody, alums or just general public, and students get a discounted rate. Um, I believe that's
1: teams of four, right, Willie?
0: Teams of four, shotgun starting at one p.m. Um, and there's prizes. Also, we have the uh, race judicata coming up on March 29th. So yeah, maybe 22nd. Excuse me, you're right. 22nd. Uh, it's Thursday. It starts at five p.m. Um, if you need, uh, if you need any more information. You can reach out on the podcast website page, uh, and um, yeah, one, one thing about
1: race to Judicat, it's a great time, quick five k race. Uh, they're going to be giving out prizes for first female, first male, and also first uh, first place faculty. Um,
0: coming quick, out quick five. k It's a pretty quick five k. Just I, about killed I, me last year. I
1: I did pretty okay, and I'm 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 a pretty hefty guy. I,
0: I was so. getting I was getting fluids at k one.
1: Yeah. But either way, at the end, once you come back, uh, once we lap right, right back around to the law school, there's, um, there's beer and crawfish all included in your ticket price, and you get a, a, a t-shirt with it as well.
0: Yes. Yeah. It's a great time. Uh, families are welcome to come as well. Um, all right. So uh, on today's episode, we have Professor Hackney to come on to talk about some recent changes to the nonprofit tax structure. Um, as well as nonprofits in general and some other uh, tax related changes from the new tax reform act. Yeah, I want
1: to go ahead and give a big shout out to TurboWax, our sponsor what? for today's show. Wait. Tur- say that again? TurboWax, located at 512 Plank Road.
0: Joe, okay. I told you to get TurboTax. It's a tax episode.
1: <sighs> Look, man, you said get the sponsor. I got the sponsor. You do the work, you do the research. I get the sponsor. Look, TurboWax It keeps your car shiny and new like it's the first day out the lot.
0: There you go, listeners. Thank you, Turbo Wax, for sponsoring our show today.
1: And don't forget to visit the location at 512 Plank Road or on Jackson Highway.
0: All right, we have uh, Professor Philip Hackney from the Law Center here today. To uh, talk about some recent changes to the nonprofit tax law, um, Professor Hackney is the resident tax professor at uh, Louisiana State University. Uh, so, thank you for coming in, Professor.
2: Absolutely, thanks for having me.
0: So, um, why don't uh, why don't we maybe start with a little bit of background about nonprofits in general for some of our listeners, as far as um, ca- how you can be compensated in them. Can you be compensated in them? How they run
2: Sure. Um, so first of all, uh, nonprofits are organizations that uh, can't distribute their earnings to their uh, some owners. There are no owners. the public is sort of the owners of them in the first place. Um, many people have the misnomer that a nonprofit often the most common place we see it is charity you know, churches, hospitals, uh, universities um, that a nonprofit can't make a profit. Um, but they're going to have an awful big problem if they're not making a profit. Um, so uh, nonprofits are businesses just like any other business. Um, they've got to have revenue exceeding expenses that at the end of the day, um, makes enough money that you can pay everybody. So nonprofit um, can very well pay people money on a regular basis. In fact, if you look at some hospitals, uh, you'll see some executive salaries that are well in excess of one million, or you'll look at uh, college football coaches. Uh, you'll see some pretty substantial salaries.
1: So exactly, just like a uh, you know a charity or something, what we would call profits that usually gets distributed amongst the charity or gets redistributed to the charity. You know, it's it's not that they're not making money at all.
2: Absolutely, the, the the charity needs to have expenses be under revenue at yeah. the end of the day, and so the concept of profit is simply the extent to which revenue exceeds expenses. If you have that, then you've got a profit technically, but that money within the nonprofit organization has to be reinvested into the purpose of that nonprofit organization. So if you've got an organization that's feeding the homeless, uh, feeding the poor, children, et cetera, um, they need more money coming in than the cost of the food or they won't be helping the homeless very long. Um, Education. You've got to be able to pay your professors. Uh, You've got to be able to pay your support staff. If you're not able to pay your folks, you don't have much of a charity, much less business going on. Uh, So you can pay reasonable salaries out to people. Can't pay excessive salaries. If you get into excessive salaries, you can get into trouble uh, primarily with the IRS.
0: Um, So, After that broad overview of the uh, nonprofit tax structure, um, maybe you could uh, dissect some of the particular issues that have been raised with Trump's tax, uh, President Trump's tax proposal and changes,
2: and and the Tax Jobs Act now that's been enacted. So um, the new act uh, makes a Large change in certain real fundamental ways for nonprofit organizations, particularly charities. Um, charities rely on contributions, charitable contributions from the public. It's not the largest share of money that they get, um, but it's not a small not, not an insignificant share, depending on your charity, it can be a larger or a smaller part, but um, the, the new law changes the cost of making a charitable contribution deduction now. And to get there, we have to see the way that the tax law works. Prior to the new tax act that was signed in 2017, um, most people would use a standard deduction or itemize. Um, only those who itemized could take the charitable contribution deduction.
1: When you say itemized deduction, that's like getting a deduction for buying a new car or things that are listed in the tax code that specifically allow you to have a deduction. And, and the standard deduction, for, this is what I remember from tax class. It yep. so taught me well. No, good, standard good, good. deduction is just the deduction that it, it's exactly what it means. It's standard. You, yep. you apply for that and then that's the one that they give you.
2: That, that's basically right. I'd say generally you can't deduct for your car. Um, most deductions are associated with a business. right? Yeah, yeah. If you're running your business... And you buy a car to work in your business, you're going to get depreciation deductions with that, no problem. If you're an individual, though, um, you don't have a lot of deductions that you're taking as an individual. But there are very specific things in the code um, that allow that you're allowed to deduct. If you have like excessive medical expenses, we say, hey, you've suffered enough. We'll allow you to take those to the extent they were excessive. If you have uh, make charitable contributions we allow you to deduct those, um, and you'll take them, they'll be itemized expenses to the extent they exceed your chari- your standard deduction. Um, before the Tax Act, that standard deduction for a married couple, or a couple uh, filing jointly, was $12,600. The new standard deduction for them is $24,000. So they doubled that standard deduction. Um, You would itemize things and take those deductions, like the charitable contribution deduction, like the home mortgage interest deduction, to the extent your expenses were greater than the standard deduction. So if you buy a house and you have mortgage interest deductions that you can take, if your house is uh, 200,000, you're almost certainly itemizing and your charitable contributions, you're gonna be able to deduct from your taxes at the end of the day about 30% of uh, taxpayers actually were taking, uh, were itemizing. Um, Because of the increase to the standard deduction now, the folks that are estimating this stuff believe that only about 7% of people will be itemizing now. That means that most people will no longer get any benefit out of the charitable contribution deduction. You're talking 23% of people that were taking a deduction from their charitable contributions, no longer will be able to. It's unlikely that I will now. Um, It's gonna be unlikely that our expenses exceed 24,000 during the year. Um, And that is expected to have a real hit. The United Way has predicted some billions of dollars that the charitable sector will uh, uh, lose as a result of this change. So that's probably the thing that the nonprofit world is concerned about the most is a backdoor ending of the charitable contribution deduction for all, except for the quite wealthy.
0: Well, I think it'll be interesting because it'll uh, say a lot about whether or not people are making charitable donations for the for the the uh, societal benefit or the, the the good feeling that results from it, or if it you know is because largely do the tax consequences associated with it.
2: It's a fascinating question. Um, I, uh, I believe firmly in uh, people's responses to economic incentives. Um, and so I think you're going to see a reduction in charitable contributions in some places. And it's not even necessarily a question of how important this was to these folks. I think it's a matter of they won't necessarily have the money or they won't experience having that money available as a result of this change. Um, at the end of the day, it will cost them more. They'll actually have to, if they pay $1,000 now, they'll have to pay the taxes on that $1,000 on top of the $1,000 contribution. So say you were in a 25% top marginal rate, so effectively your charitable contribution deduction is worth 25% of what you contribute. Um, that means that you'd get a $250 um, offset of your taxes if you make a thousand dollar contribution. So, a charitable contribution for that person prior to this law would cost me $750, not a thousand. After the law, if I'm in that same 25% bracket, well, let's say I go down to a 21% bracket, um, that tax contribution now will actually cost me $1,210, not a 1, thousand. So there's a real difference in the economic effect of that contribution. Um, so at the end of the day, it will impact people's giving, one way or another. Um, however, you make an excellent point, which is some people are going to give no matter what. If you're talking about churches, people tithe. There's a large section of the American public that genuinely believes they have an obligation to make a 10% uh, contribution of their income on an annual basis, and they're not going to stop giving. Now, it'll be interesting to see how they work out the 10%, given mm-hmm. that they have this extra charge on top of that. I think they, <laughs> yeah. God might need to come in and have conversations yeah. with, to figure out how that works exactly. Um, so, interesting questions.
1: Well, on a macro scale, um, I know you probably don't have these numbers in front of you, but how, how many or what percentage do you think of corporations or organizations in the United States are actually nonprofit.
2: Oh, so um, uh, so the, the question is how large, in a sense, is the nonprofit yeah. sector? Yeah. About ten percent of wages are paid by the nonprofit sector. Um, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I believe in the last numbers from a couple of years ago, there were about four trillion in assets in nonprofit organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, you're talking about three trillion in um, revenue uh, coming into these organizations. Um, the charitable organizations are gonna be a sizable portion of that. So you're probably talking about two trillion in revenue coming into charities um, and about three trillion in assets. I- I'd have to go back and yeah. look at those numbers, but it's in that range. So, I mean, in terms of the revenue, you're talking uh, four or 5% of GDP.
1: Well, I guess really more my concern was you have all these non-profit organizations, you know, 10% of the marketplace pretty much. uh, And, you know, if they're not getting in the donations because of people who, you know, definitely give because of the tax benefit, I mean, that that looks like it could be some significant job loss and some definite economic uh, trouble from non-profits. Yeah. At least sustaining their nonprofit organization.
2: There's a lot of nonprofits that are really concerned. Um, about the effect this is going to have on them and the services they deliver. If you're um, looking at the way state houses have been behaving, um, and we could talk about Louisiana, we decided not to increase taxes to pay for services. Uh, You see Kansas and states across the country have been behaving in these ways, and that means that there has been a pullback in services that are provided by the government and as the state pulls out of those things, that puts an increasing burden an increasing burden on nonprofits to provide these services. And to hit them at the same time that you're doing that, can it, whether you think it's right or not, can be expected to have a particular economic impact, uh, both on the operation of the nonprofit, but on the vulnerable populations that they serve. So I, I have my concerns regarding that. I, I worry about it nonprofit sector's been suffering in in, in ways already. Um, but we'll see. I mean that the the Republican case for it and should make it is that the tax cuts are gonna give so much money to everybody um, that it'll make up for these losses. Um, the best economic analysis that I saw, there's a, a thing by Robert Barrow and Jason Furman analyzing and They're expecting some additional GDP growth about two percentage points, point, or point two percentage points. Um enough that even though it was about a $1.5 trillion tax cut over ten years in costs, we're just giving up 1.5 trillion that we otherwise would have collected, it'll cost about 1.2 trillion because there's gonna be some growth in the economy and that could make up for it. I'm not convinced that that's gonna help the nonprofit sector because I'm not convinced that money's gonna go to the nonprofit sector.
0: Yeah, it would seem to me at least that if you're a uh if you're a lower income, uh, not a low income inter- individual, but you're a person who now gets the benefit of the, of the double, standard, double standard deduction, pretty much, uh, that you will have more disposable income, but at the same time, you're probably a person who consumes more of your income on everyday items as opposed to saving. So it seems like that would help the economy in a lot of ways.
2: Yeah, there's there's no doubt that some of this will help the economy. Um, It's weird though to think about things as helping the economy because what does that mean for your bottom line if the economy is doing better? Exactly. Um, And there's an interesting aspect of that increasing the standard deduction um, because it comes with not getting um, personal exemptions as well. So prior to the tax act, I personally, with two children and Mary filing jointly, I got the standard deduction of twelve thousand four hundred, but I additionally got four personal exemptions of four thousand each, which put me up over twenty-four thousand dollars over the standard deduction. Those personal exemptions are gone now. I think some people will be surprised at that. But
0: I'm the youngest of seven kids. So <laughs> personal <laughs> exemption your, your parents have a lot of personal exemptions. Exactly. I congratulate them. <laughs> Um so why don't we uh <laughs> why don't we discuss hey mom and dad uh, <laughs> why don't we discuss a little further uh some of the other aspects targeted towards the nonprofit organizations themselves uh, with regard to the limitation from the from the act
2: Sure yeah one one of the uh, most interesting ones to me for those who are followers of uh, the Tigers football or Tiger athletics in general is that um the new uh, code passed, and I, I, was, I was surprised at this. I mean, I genuinely think this move was probably the right one, but it ended the ability to deduct 80% of your TAF, a- TAF athletic contributions. So um, for folks that buy uh, LSU football tickets, they're well aware of the thousand, $2,000 contribution that helps uh, if you want to buy seats at the Tigers game. Um, so you're expected to make that contribution on an annual basis, and you got to deduct 80% of that um, under the old code. The new code ends that ability. Um, I know LSU was deeply concerned about the impact that's gonna have on their ticket sales. Again, if you believe in economic effects, uh, you should expect people to uh, probably buy less, um, that the return to LSU would be a little less. now. There could be, um, in the same way that we talked about churches, that people uh, were pretty religious about making a contribution to their church. I have a feeling that people are pretty religious about making a contribution to LSU football as well. So whether they experience it or not, is still remains to be seen. But that was another hit on the charitable sector.
0: Yeah, and I know it's not just the Tiger Athletic Foundation. Yeah. Uh, the University of Alabama has one. I'm sure the University of Tennessee yeah. has something like yeah. um, so it, Joe. So it's it's a big hit nationally. Here's
2: the interesting thing about that. Um, I think it was Jay Bennett Johnson. It was either Jay Bennett Johnson or Russell No, it was probably Russell Hall. Um Got this put into the code initially. And the way it was initially written was he got together with a Texas senator and got it such that only... It only applied to LSU football and uh, the, the and UT, uh, so it, it it was a it was a deduction only for those who made contributions to UT football or LSU football. Other programs caught on to it pretty quick and made it broader. And now that work is gone. But,
0: yeah, you got you got to love Senator Russell. <laughs> I mean,
2: he was pretty powerful in the uh, taxes era. He really understood that well. Um, other things that happened. Um, there's a big one that, um, again, in uh, college athletics, people care about, which is that nonprofits that pay out large salaries over a million dollars will now have to pay 21% tax on salaries that they pay out in excess of a million dollars for their top five um, employees. Uh, this is targeted in part at college coaches, but it's also gonna hit hospitals and um, lots, a number of other organizations out there, Uh, college presidents in many instances. Um, And um, it's it's, it's a big hit. Again, it's a a hit on the nonprofit sector. Many people believe that um, those salaries are somehow fundamentally unreasonable. And they, they, you know, they might have a, a, a point there to a certain extent, and, and maybe there's something going on there. Uh, but bottom line, it's going to impact the bottom line of these organizations and what they do. Um, I'm, not, I'm still not certain how to feel on that one. It was one that I, many years ago I kind of proposed as an idea, and I, I'm not certain how, how wise it was.
0: Well, let me ask you this. So. Um Louisiana State University is a state institution, it's not a non-profit, I mean, it's a, it's a governmental institution, correct? Right. So, um, the Ed Orgeron is a state employee, Coach O is a state employee, so his salary is not necessarily a non-profit salary, correct?
2: Yeah, there's a really interesting aspect, a uh, technical aspect, that, that went on in this particular um, new statute. Um, which is that they tried to apply it to any employee of a 501c3. Um, and nonprofits, generally, actually, if they're, they're exempt under 501a, so it potentially grabs up all sorts of interesting organizations. But it also applied it to um, organizations that don't pay tax as a result of this provision 115 of the code. 115 is kind of a uh, way inside baseball term that only serious tax nerds such as myself <laughs> deal with, um, and I think Congress intended to grab up folks like Coach O and tax their salary, but there's a debate going on, and I think the side of the debate that comes down on the side that Coach O's salary is not taxable is probably winning, which is that this is a state entity, and... It's not obtaining its exemption via 115. And I think they have created a situation where, uh, say, Coach Saban with the University of Alabama. Who's Tennessee's coach? Uh,
1: Jerry Pruitt now. Jared Pruitt of uh, Tennessee (laughs) uh,
2: will not be subject to this 21% excise tax. We'll see. There's a real debate going on on this issue. Uh, The Republicans who put it in believe that it should apply. They want it to technically apply. Um, but say coach, uh, who's Stanford's coach, I forget Stanford's coach, but it's a private institution, Um, will have to pay. Mm -hmm. Uh, Notre Dame uh, will have to pay on their coach's salary, assuming it's in excess of $1 million, and that's just an odd situation, Um, and uh, would seem to be taking a side in the uh, football wars that are ongoing, and it, it makes it more costly for private institutions to buy their coach than a public institution,
1: and that seems problematic. Yeah, when I'm thinking about stuff like this, it kind of gets me on to the thought that maybe there's a bigger push to minimize the influence and, I guess, um, overall just spread of private institutions and education. Um, it looks like, it, it just seems like we're just geared more towards going into the public institutions and, and really pushing to have our children go to or students go to public institutions rather than private what, what do you think about that
2: so interesting i mean i think there's a real battle i mean there's clearly real battles going on in the concept of higher ed in general um i would actually say the push is more i don't know it's, it's hard it's hard to yeah. figure out because there's so many battle lines that are happening both at the state level the state has massively cut public institutions um, I guess the the first thing I would start with is I don't think that differential was intended here. Mm. I don't think the legislators actually, I think they were believing probably that they were grabbing up the Coach O, the Coach Saver yeah. situation. So I don't think they willingly went into this doing that. Uh-huh. Um, I think they willingly went into it trying to um, put, trying to make a statement that they believe that nonprofits should not be making large payments to their employees, that this was somehow fundamentally wrong. Yeah, I think that is incorrect. Um, nonprofits are a business like any other, and if they want good people to be operating them, they've gotta be paying market salaries, and if they don't, they're not gonna be operated very well. Um, I, think, I think they're focused on the wrong issue and using a, I, I think there's a real issue of too much money going towards these types of things. Um, but I think that their tool was not the correct one for dealing with that, that question. Um, to the question of whether they're trying to force you into public rather than private, it's, it's just really difficult to say. And I'll bring up, I, you remember the, the, the other one, um, William, that I, we, we, were, we talked about before this, was that there's this new um, excise tax placed on the endowment of higher education institutions, which could theoretically, I suppose, include the public's. Um, and it is only impacting about 500 higher educational institutions. It's a 1.4% tax on the endowment of these institutions. So it's more, more of an attack, I think, on higher ed generally, mm-hmm. um, th- and particularly where there's some sort of wealth involved they're trying to cut that back in some way. Um, and why that is, I think you've got to go deep into the weeds of politics, uh, into partisan politics, to see why they might be taking those kinds of moves.
0: Well, I know at a lot of the private colleges, there have been uh, op eds written about pulling their, their nonprofit status just because it really is kind of operating like a for-profit entity their endowments are huge sure. but at the same time you know educational is one of the standards in 501c3 Yeah. so they are providing an educational service
2: yeah it's it's a fascinating issue you've got harvard yale stanford um i know harvard and yale have over a 30 billion dollar endowment so these are gigantic institutions and they have, you know, often have hedge fund managers that are essentially managing this money and making lots of money out of these operations. So I think there is some sense that, hey, maybe there's something wrong with that. And there, there are folks from the left and the right that believe there's something fundamentally going wrong with that. And the, the, the biggest problem is are they really taking money out of their endowment and putting it into that educational misery? Um, students, I suspect, feel that, I don't think they're doing that so much because I'm paying 50, 60 <laughs> grand a year to come here. Yeah. Uh, or I'm paying fees, even if I'm even if not paying too much tuition, I'm paying a hell of a lot of fees and housing and they're making money hand over fist in these things. So is that right? Shouldn't they have to pay something into the system? So I think there's a real battle to be had in terms of charitable mission um, and whether, Amassing these large portions needs to be dealt with in some real way. So I think they were aiming at that. I'm not certain they accomplished it in the right way, but I do think they were, there were good things that they were aiming at.
1: Well, we can definitely see that, you know, the, the goal is to try and limit nonprofits and the way that they're uh, distributing larger salaries. But do you think that maybe a way to kind of avoid this? Because, I mean, like we said, 10%. Is the not roughly 10% is the, the economic sphere for what nonprofits are in the market. Um, do you think it'd be wise to maybe have an exemption specifically for educational um, ins- institutions?
2: So, effectively, we do already have a tax exemption if you are doing educational writ large, um, and that's kind of, I think, part of the problem, which is that if you do education, you can be tax exempt. Um, So if I'm advising somebody and they're trying to ensure their thing, whatever it is that they want to do, is exempt, I'm going to advise them to try and do as much education as they possibly can. Um, And I think it's part of the problem in this situation is that there is, in effect, an exemption for any education. So to to give you an example of the difficulty that this created is there were these groups called uh, debt management uh, plan, these things called debt management plans, Um, I'm blanking on the names, Uh, credit counseling organizations. Mm. They had all these credit counseling organizations that sprang up, they were doing really bad things. Sometimes these organizations would uh, form, uh, they'd tell people, hey, we're gonna get rid of all your credit card debt, just come on in and you just start making these payments to us and we'll we'll take care of it all. And then they'd run away with their money. Um, But additionally, they were, even the, semi-good ones that didn't run away with your money, just abscond with your money, Um, they were taking large fees. And what they were claiming is that they were educational. They'd have these counseling sessions with folks and take advantage of these people. And so as soon as you start creating this notion of, hey, we'll give an exemption for education, it creates, because we think of education as good, right? Yeah. Education is naturally good. It creates this opportunity for people to use arbitrage to exploit that concept and it's the exploitation of that concept that's kind of the problem and so it's a question of how do you create an education that we all agree is, is actually thing. education or that's absolutely. the hard thing because yeah, I mean, even in the college context right mm-hmm. now we're talking about college context and we'm like hey it's a pretty awesome thing to be educating young minds to be doing research, to advance our community, to improve, say, Baton Rouge community and Louisiana generally. Um, but then you start hearing about other things where money's being made and we start, we start wondering. Uh, we start hearing Harvard and Yale have these enormous endowments that aren't going to relieving people from their financial burdens to seek out education. And there seems to be uh, something wrong with that equation. So it's, 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 it's a good question. In yeah. terms of education yeah uh, but the problem is the, the the difficulty and the slipperiness of what education means
0: I wanted to go back to uh, the idea of taxing some of the state salaried uh, employees so it kind of almost sounds and this is not nec- this isn't really a tax idea but it almost kind of sounds like a sovereign immunity state sovereign immunity issue mm-hmm. the idea of of the federal government saying, okay, you have to tax Coach O, you have to pay the federal government money for this, is kind of, I I don't even know, I don't even know if that meets constitutional muster. Yeah, so,
2: um, great great question. Um, In fact, the leading theory in terms of why states and state entities that, are uh, an instrumentality of the state, municipalities, et cetera, Mm -hmm. are not taxed under the code is sovereign immunity. Exactly. Um, But nobody knows for sure. I mean, like, if we sat down in the Internal Revenue Code and tried to figure out um, why we're not taxing the state, it's not clear. It's a very deep issue that hasn't been explored, but generally, we don't tax state entities. Um, Section 115 of the code allows certain entities that are connected enough with the state, they're separate apart from the state, Um, but their money ultimately is coming back into the state as an accounting matter, are allowed to consider all of the income that they're earning in accomplishing that purpose to be non-taxable. It's considered not income. Um, so they're not technic these 115s are not technically considered a tax-exempt entity, but all of their income is not taxed. So in fact, a state-connected entity is being taxed in this instance. But if you're talking about the city of Baton Rouge, w- the IRS isn't coming in to tax the city of Baton Rouge. And presumably, it's a sovereign immunity, but this battle has never really been had. There are some opinions out there and some writings. It's it's an area that I've wanted to write about more. Um, but what you were asking about the tax exempt sector earlier, and I said, you know, wages are about 10% of the economy. But if we throw in government entities, mm-hmm. it's even larger than that. Um, I'm not grabbing up that sector of the economy, and that's pretty big. And if we start grabbing into those spaces, we're, we're having much different effects but you're right effectively it's sovereign immunity but it's not uh deeply understood as to well
1: i almost think that would kind of be a pretty hard thing to account for as well there's just so much i mean it's just such a large entity to try and tax i think that would in it itself would just create a bigger problem than what's worth
2: yeah i mean and it, it, if you started trying to go after the states now with that said let's bring this back um, LSU has to pay the unrelated business income tax colleges, state colleges and universities are actually taxed under the unrelated business income tax So, the, it, go ahead Well, maybe
0: you could clarify about <laughs> yeah. the unrelated business income tax
2: <laughs> you mean everybody doesn't understand about the unrelated business income tax if I said UBIT everybody wouldn't understand um, yeah so the, the unrelated business income tax is a tax that's applied on tax-exempt entities. So a charity, like a hospital, say the Lady of the Lake, um, that carries on an activity that's unrelated to its charitable purpose, hot providing health care services. So let's say the Lady of the Lake decides to run a lawn care business. If it goes out and do, does this, this is unrelated to its activity. And the Internal Revenue Code, because of Congress, said that We have to tax those charities on that activity. So the lake will suddenly have to file a tax return, right, um, on that activity. Congress decided to apply that to state colleges and universities, which are presumably the state. And so we actually have a situation where the Congress is, in fact, applying a tax on a state entity. And nobody's challenged this.
1: Issue. But necessarily in, in what in what context? Like what?
2: If they conduct an unrelated business activity. Like, for example? So let's say um, we can get it. I'll get into it. So if they ran a lawnmower business that had no no relation, they could pay, yeah. to pay tax on that. But more likely what's going to happen with LSU is let's say they have a, a, a large stadium. Mm-hmm. And let's say they decide to throw a... Um, Buy your country super fast, like maybe. <laughs>
1: did you want to avoid that? Or, uh? <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, it, it, happens, like that, around, yeah, it happens
2: around. the country, and I, I don't know whether this created an issue for them. I'm assuming their folks looked at this. I, I don't. I don't talk, and I'm not speaking for LSU at all in this scenario. Um, but what does happen sometimes? Is just just blink twice if they're you're They're doing safe. these things. We're fine. <laughs> um, they might have unrelated business income associated with that under certain particular circumstances and they could have to pay tax on that that income. Um, Other simple things that can happen is they'll have an endowment Mm -hmm. um, and they um, uh, borrow money. Uh, If they have, if they've borrowed money to, if a state institution has somehow borrowed money in order to carry on an activity that returns money, that suddenly becomes unrelated business income. Um, and they have to pay it now. A- another way that this can happen, and this is part of the new tax act, and this is the biggest mess, it actually, it just, if you're into the issue of colleges and universities, if you're into this kind of area, um, they now suddenly can have unrelated business income tax if they allow their employees to park for free on campus.
0: Which? Uh, LSU does not allow their employees. They, to park. We,
2: we actually have to pay. Yes. And a lot of institutions do that. They'll charge. But most of the institutions will allow that parking to be taken out pre tax. And if they take it out pre tax, there's a real debate on whether this new act actually creates unrelated business income tax for this institution. Um, and I actually created a little bit of a stir amongst amongst colleges around the country trying to figure out whether they're gonna have to pay unrelated business income tax on this issue because they give transportation benefits and parking to their employees and the new tax act forces them to pay 21% tax on whatever they pay associated with that amount. And it's not clear at all how this is gonna come out. But again, the only point is, that that I was trying to get down towards, is there are all sorts of ways that colleges and universities can get themselves into a place where they have to pay this unrelated business income tax, even though they're a state entity, which is the sovereign immunity issue yes. again. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I'm shrugging my shoulders right now. Who knows? Sh- shrugging shoulders emoji. Emotic on. You're just all over the, uh, <laughs> the, the hip cool lingo. His, he,
1: <laughs> Professor Hackney said IRL in class today, by the way.
2: <laughs> my, my son would be grinning. <laughs> Well, Professor Hackney, we
0: uh, really want to thank you for coming on the show. We really enjoyed it. Um, and uh, it was eye-opening, I would say, to learn this much about the tax code. <laughs> I'm sure our listeners uh, uh, really enjoyed it.
2: Come back for more tax talk.
0: Oh, you, oh, definitely, definitely. <laughs> Joe, you got any parting words? Uh, no, uh,
1: other than I, I did see there was a – you were quoted in the Washington Examiner uh, it it kind of talks a little bit about um, uh, the, the pay to the college coaches. Uh, just go to the WashingtonExaminer.com and then the title yep. of the article is GOP Tax Plan Could Crimp Million Dollar College Coaches. Uh, it it kind of it expounds a little bit on, on what we've been talking about, specifically more in the context of college coaches and, and the whole private versus public thing. Um, so if you all want to take a look at that and just give that a quick read, it's, it's about a page or page two long. So uh, that's, that's a good thing to get started on as well. Um, but other than that, we appreciate you coming on, and it's been a great time.
2: Thank you, guys, and I, I really appreciate that you guys have this going. I think it's a really uh, great asset to LSU Law School as an institution. So uh, Joe and, and uh, Willie, thank you very much for having me on, and thank you for doing this work.
1: I appreciate it. Well, girl, I love you. I love you.
0: All right, that brings us to the end of our show. Special thanks to Professor Hackney for coming on, and uh, and to our sponsor, thanks Turbo Wax.
1: Turbo Wax 512 Pine Road. Um, yeah. Also, don't forget about Bruising Bears embarrass- or not and Bears, just Birdies embarrassers. Uh I think we said that was April 6th, and then Race Judicata on March 22nd. Mark it on your calendar. It's going to be a great time for both. It's a great way to give back.